One of the first experiences I had with the collegiate was when I walked into Wesley Hall and it smelled old and it has this like old library kind of scent to it. Welcome to Hallowed Halls, a podcast about the University of Winnipeg Collegiate. Episode 5, Connections. Walking in to Wesley Hall, I felt like I was in a castle, literally. I would never have been where I am today if it, it were not for the University of Winnipeg Collegiate. Never. It changed my life completely. I, I was so grateful and remain so grateful that it gave me that grounding and that start. I've certainly left part of my heart at, at, in Wesley Hall. The Collegiate needs to be what the world is, but just within the walls of Wesley Hall. That's what the Collegiate needs to be. The Collegiate does reflect the city and the society that it's in. And I'm sure that's always been the case. We offer you Mindscape on a plate with green eggs and ham. Here's to Dr. Seuss, Theodora S. Geisel. We read through potholes of poetry, strawberry baskets of stories, and pickle jars of plays. We laughed, we cried, we choked on our lunches. Room 108, the ongoing battle of humanity versus nature, poetry versus the furnace. Wednesdays will never be the same again. Here's to us. Here's to you. Have a good read. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was, of course, Phyllis Webster, a former English instructor at the Collegiate who we heard from in the last episode. She was reading from the introduction to the 1993 edition of Mindscape, a literary journal that she helped publish at the Collegiate. It was really um, a team effort, and I think that's the thing that I was the most proud of. It involved so many people, and in the end, it was given out with the, the yearbook, and I've heard from many students on Mindscape that they've got their grade 11 poetry assignment they wrote with me, and their, their yearbooks and Mindscapes still, you know, in their houses, which delights me no end, of course. One of the students involved in that team effort was Carly Slowshower. She decided to finish her high school at the Collegiate and graduated in 2006. Actually, it had a lot to do with my brother. He had already gone there. I was a pretty good student, and academically, I wanted more challenges, and I guess like to have more, more options to focus on the subjects that I felt were important. And Carly was challenged by her classes, her peers, but especially her instructors. And there were a few teachers who left a particular impression on her. Mr. Cornelson for um, World Issues. So in grade 12, I took his class. It just sort of opened my eyes to things that happen around the world, all kinds of political and different conflicts going on. I would credit him for the most part with instilling in me like an interest in human rights. And also he was, he was very eccentric. I recall him throwing chalk at one point, not necessarily at us, but almost kind of like to get us to pay more attention. And his, his methods were not necessarily traditional. But he was amazing. Like, he was just so passionate. And I think that was part of why I became so interested. And I went on to study international development. So it was kind of a continuation. But there was one teacher who stood above all others. 
Mrs. Webster, I had her for several classes. Mrs. Webster, she was a character. There are some teachers, I think, who, you know, teaching Shakespeare plays and different novels, like, yeah, they they like it, but it's not it's not their passion. And for her, she really was just like all in and her office was basically covered the walls were covered with different kinds of hats like she was a very unique quirky individual very sweet I was a bit eccentric to put it mildly you've probably heard about my hat collection and carrying a basket and and uh, that sort of thing, which I, I flogged very heavily because that's who I was at the time. And I got a lot of attention for it, which was my intention. <laughs> Phyllis has kept in touch with many of her former students. And she says she came across a recent post that referred to her, lovingly, of course, as someone's 12th grade hat-collecting, basket-toting, kangaroo of a human English and journalism teacher. He said... You told me the first time I saw you standing on the steps of Wesley Hall that you were a kangaroo. And he said, that's why I decided I would register in your classes. <laughs> I don't remember that. I think the kangaroo thing came from my basket because it used to have Kleenex and dictionaries and, and pencils and pens and, and my files, of course. And the students were always very welcome to go to the basket and get whatever they needed, but they couldn't, they couldn't touch the files, of course, but they could always get other things. Anyway, so I think it was because I carried this basket, and I can't tell you how many people, both at the collegiate and students that I'd never met at the, at the university, would grab that basket and carry it for me. Hmm. And I just found that so charming that, you know, I, I wasn't an old lady who needed help, but they, they, they decided they would carry it for me and then, you know, then we could chat a little bit. So that, that was the kind of, I'm going to use the word cozy feeling of being in this one, you know, block of crazy buildings that grew sort of like Topsy behind Wesley Hall. Phyllis connected with people everywhere she went on campus. But one of the places she really connected with students was in room 108, in the Mindscape meetings. Carly tried to describe the journal. I guess kind of like a magazine that, so there was like a group that met and they'd consider like a lot of short stories, poetry, pieces of writing that people did either like in their spare time or for for their classes um, and then every year it would be put together also with photos that students took and it was a very artsy thing. Apart from producing the journal, Mindscape was also an important place for students of the collegiate to socialize and meet other like-minded individuals. Well, I think that it um, uh, there were sometimes people who were very shy and uh, didn't make friends easily and found that room 108 or 109 later on was a place where they could have a quiet lunch and uh, talk about things that mattered to them. Uh, we were very dedicated. I mean, we came in, we unpacked our lunches and we started reading immediately. So we started reading them out loud and we would share the reading 
And I think that gave some of the Shire students confidence, you know, because our rule was we listen, we analyze, first we'd say what we liked about it, and then we would talk about things we think could be improved. After graduating from the collegiate, Carly continued studying at the University of Winnipeg before later going to law school in Ottawa. I did politics and international development for my majors at U of W. And like I said, I think I really benefited from not having much of a transition after grade 12 to university. I knew my surroundings and was comfortable there and as like a more shy and a bit type A person, that was very helpful. After a very lengthy application process, I just started a few months ago at the Human Rights Commission. I'm an investigator, so, you know, people make all kinds of complaints. And eventually, if they can't be resolved, my task is, you know, to impartially try to find out what happened and see if it meets the definitions and tests for discrimination and harassment a lot of a lot of harassment cases so very much like if you go back to what I was saying about my world issues class in grade 12 I think pretty relevant to kind of everything I studied Around the time that Carly was studying at the Collegiate, a new program was just beginning at the school. The Model School. It's a program that still exists at the Collegiate, up on the fourth floor of Wesley Hall, and it's made a huge impact on this school that is steeped in the traditions of Winnipeg's elites. The Model School, it's a program that exists within the Collegiate that aims to bridge the graduation gap and uh, increasing access to post-secondary education. For students that are underrepresented, we strive to provide an environment with uh, programming opportunities and support for students and families to use education as a springboard uh, to maximize their potential. All the students in the program have been identified as being bright and capable of university entrance but face barriers that prevent them from reaching their potential. This is Ian Elliott. We heard from him briefly in episode one of the podcast, talking about the graduation gap that exists between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students in Manitoba. He's the director of the model school at the Collegiate. And here's Iraq Levasseur, a model school student who we also heard from in episode one. I didn't live in the city. I lived in a reserve that's about like three hours away, uh, Ebonville First Nation. And then I moved out here to the city and I had no friends uh, and the education between like on reserve, off reserve type of thing is, it's different. So I had to adjust a lot. And then I met a few other girls who were First Nations just like me. After moving to Winnipeg and meeting other First Nations young people in the city, Iraq was recommended to the model school at the Collegiate by a parent of one of her new friends. I didn't know what it was at all. I just went without knowing, just to see. And when we did go, um, I brought my mom. (laughs) And I met Ian and Derek, and they showed me around. I kind of knew that it was, like, different. I was kind of like, oh, I don't think I want to do it. And then it was when we went to the classes. I think it might have been Ian, who was teaching math and science at the time. He said that it's only going to be, like, 13 kids in this classroom and you're going to be with them throughout high school. 
and I already knew like four girls going there and I was horrible at math and science like I was just the worst and I thought like this might be a good opportunity for me to sit down and really learn something that's when I decided that yeah I'm gonna do it it's gonna look really nice when I graduate on you know what diploma from U of W already like I thought that'd be pretty cool so that's what kind of attracted me <laughs> was the the class size and the you know the it was really welcoming the idea of the program is to really provide those extra supports in a rigorous academic environment for students who are facing barriers to that, largely socioeconomic barriers, uh, but also access to opportunities and those types of barriers that uh, many of our students may face. And we're trying to uh, break down those barriers so a student can focus in on their education and uh, not worry about access to technology, not worry about how am I going to get to school, not worry about their food security and, you know, be able to provide those supports. So in some ways that we can alleviate those pressures so they can actually focus in on, you know, their education. Despite the welcoming feeling of the model school, it was still nerve-wracking for Iraq to walk into Wesley Hall on her first day. I was terrified. I was like so scared. I think for a moment I started like shaking because I was so nervous. Uh, all you seen was like university students, like actual. <laughs> and you're 13 years old or you're going on, you're like, whoa. So it was scary. And then you go into the castle and you're like, oh, this is even scarier. <laughs> but then when you go upstairs... Uh, model school's on the fourth floor. There's a restaurant up there. We weren't allowed in it, but it was like, when you go in there, you smell popcorn. <laughs> so it smelled like, oh, there's popcorn here. And then you go, the upstairs, like Ian, again, Derek, all of them, they're really welcoming. It was like, like a family type of thing. And you can get that vibe like right when you walk in. One of the biggest strengths of the program is the students themselves and just they're 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 great to work with they support one another and and it's not just confined to just the grade nines hanging out with the grade nines the grade 12s act as mentors for them um, and it's not unusual for all grades to be mingling and i think that's one of the strengths of the program is that they really become almost like a family you make connections um, it has that family unit. Like even when I was in grade 12, I know I knew the grade nines. So I don't think it's just like just a program for inner city youth and indigenous youth to get a higher education. I think it's a chance for them to, you know, have opportunity, even like seeking employment and to have a safe place outside of like even in your own home or anything. That's, that's how I would describe it. <laughs> Iraq attended the model school for four years, from grade nine to grade 12. At the beginning of her studies at the collegiate, most of her classes were on the fourth floor of Wesley Hall with other model school students. But as the years went on, she took more classes with the other collegiate students. She described what a day looked like for her in grade 12. Well, I'd wake up super early. <laughs> I lived quite a bit of ways and the bus, buses sucked. <laughs> um, so I'd wake up super early, I'd get ready and I'd catch a bus to school. I'd get off and I'd be so tired by the time I got there already. I'd go up to the model school. And the best thing about model school is they have the food <laughs> that's like in the pantry, in the fridge. So um, if you don't, you know, you don't eat breakfast at home, you can eat it there. And same as lunch and snacks and whatever. So I'd have a muffin, chocolate milk or whatever they had. And then I would go to class. Classes were like fun for me. I liked learning, I liked doing it. And then we'd have a spare, either model school time or the life works. Like you can either study, they offer the CPR. So Tuesdays and Thursdays would be that. And then lunch, I had such, and I still do have such great friends there. So all of us would meet up and 
we were all different ages. <laughs> We'd either go for pizza or um, the McDonald's down the street. Sometimes we'd have practices at lunch for basketball. Other times we don't, like we'd even sit at lunch and study if we were in the same class together. And then in the afternoon it would be classes. And then after classes, it would be straight basketball for I don't know how long. Like, I don't know why we'd stay there so long. We'd do basketball for like three hours. Then we'd watch the next people practicing. And if there was games, we'd stay to watch those. And then I'd go home. I'd go to bed 12, I'd wake up at like seven in the morning, get ready, go. So it was like a constant go, go, go. <laughs> we do get a food order at least once a week. And so we have open access to a fridge and a pantry for students. If they're hungry, if they need something, they're more than welcome to just go and grab it because it's, it's, it's hard to concentrate on your, stu your studies when your stomach is growling. All the students are on full scholarship to attend the program, so there's absolutely no cost to a family. We provide students with technology, um, all our students joining us in grade 9 and 10 especially get access to an iPad with a keyboard and uh, so they can use those for online learning and, and coursework. The other supports could you know, just be emotional supports, you know, it's not uncommon for students to seek out help or advice with something that may be going on. Since the program started in, with students in 2008-2009, we, we, we had 19 students back, back when the program started. Um, this year, we have 56 students from 9 to 12, so we've expanded in that time. But as far as an impact, we're proud to say that we've had 99 graduates to date in that, in that time, and approximately 80% of those graduates have gone on to post-secondary studies. Last year, we had 17 graduates, which was our largest graduating class, and um, I know currently of 14 of those 17 that are enrolled in uh, university. Most at the University of Winnipeg, but some at the University of uh, Manitoba for this year. And I know that the other three students that are not have plans of attending post-secondary. In some ways, the ethos of the model school can be traced back to the earlier days of the collegiate. To the social gospelers of the early 20th century, who we learned about way back in episode one. Although their beliefs were steeped in colonial and sometimes racist views of the world, one of their core values was social justice. The Collegiate's always been a very diverse school, a very welcoming school, and, and you know, accepting of all different types of people. But I think with the model school, one of the impacts it's had is that I think it was one of the reasons why the Collegiate developed the, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation course. So it's, it's, it's kind of spearheaded the creation of a Truth and Reconciliation course for not only model school students, but all of the grade nine collegiate students. And I think that's been a huge impact in the program. And I think that's also gone a long way to breaking down some of the mystique maybe that the program might have had in its initial stages. So there's, a, there's, a more, there's an organic mixing of students and uh, so they get to know one another and know a little bit about the backgrounds of you know, other students in a different way. The TRC course was first offered at the Collegiate in 2017. It's a response to the calls to action issued by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2015. It's now a mandatory course for all grade nine students at the Collegiate. I think it fits well within the social justice history of the, 
of the University of Winnipeg. I like to, I mean, think back to uh, something that, that Kevin Chief uh, had said about the program and many of uh, the programs that he's involved with is that it's a, hopefully to act as a tap on the shoulder for students and families to, to let them know that there's, in a meaningful way, that post-secondary education is attainable and, you know, it's, this is it's not the ivory tower that maybe it might have been thought to be in the past and, you know, that others, you know, that students can achieve that. And that's really where the program, you know, foundational kind of philosophy of the program. For IROC, having courses that addressed Indigenous content and were taught by Indigenous instructors was deeply meaningful. In particular, she recalls a class that she took near the end of her time at the collegiate. My grade 12 English with um, Tasha Spillett. I think that's how you say your last name. I, just, I know her as Tasha. She's, besides being on the reserve, one of the first Indigenous teachers that I, I've had. She's incredible. Like, I hated English class. I could not stand it. I couldn't, like in the model school, it was different in grade nine because you knew everyone right away. And then when you go to the collegiate classrooms, you don't really know a lot of people. So it's a lot scarier. <laughs> but then I took a grade 12 English that was, I think, only offered to the model school students. Like, I still can't forget about that class. It wasn't your just typical, like, you're going to read this, you're going to do an assignment. I remember, like, we created posters um, for Water is Life. We went around campus, we hung them up. We did a lot of, like, land acknowledgement. We did, um, we went to protest. We were reading and writing these poems. Like, it was just... I was really engaged in it. It felt like I was, you know, we're finally being recognized. Like she was such a big, so she still is such a big inspiration. Like that's something I want to do. Like I want to follow in her footsteps. It was almost like this is the first time I'm, you know, I can relate to a teacher. <laughs> it was just different, like in a special way. While the model school is providing opportunities for Indigenous and other inner city youth, the collegiate remains a private school that for most students comes with a cost. Despite the school's generous bursaries and scholarships, many students' families pay thousands of dollars to attend the school and come from neighborhoods far from Winnipeg's inner city. It's a juxtaposition that Ian Elliott thinks a lot about. I come from a, a public school background as well, and I come from a family of, of public school teachers. So, I mean, you know, I have a lot of respect for the public school system. And so that part of even my hesitation in coming to the program, I found it interesting because I was working with essentially the students in the, in the program are public school kids. That's where they would be were it not for the program. And I think that juxtaposition between some of the very affluent families in Winnipeg that, you know, that have attended the collegiate and, and some of the, and the students that are in the model school, I struggle with that sometimes as well. I remember a student a few years ago that was in the debate club and he was one of the friends that he had within the club was from a you know, very affluent family. And this student didn't have much of anything. And so on our part, we tried to provide him with whether it's clothing or any type of support that we could give him so he maybe wouldn't, that, that wouldn't affect him as much. I think the good far outweighs the bad with that in, from what I've heard. I think the students feel, the model school students, they feel a sense of pride in being here. And I think they, it shows in the way they carry themselves. I think it's been, a, it's been a good thing for both sets of students to get to know one another. At the moment, it'd be nice if we could, you know, expand the program and, you know, with, with staff and students. But the, the realities, uh, the financial realities of that are 
very difficult to attain. So, I mean, one of the things we'd like to secure would be long-term funding for the program. I mean, we do, as an independent school, we do get half the per-pupil funding that a, that a public school would get. Uh, the shortfall, which there always is one, is made up through private donations. Uh, but to secure long-term funding for the program is definitely a goal. It always comes back to me to being better supports for the students. How can we better support our students just to be successful? Uh, not only at school, but also outside of school. And I think that's the ongoing challenge that's always, we'll never finish, that, complete that task, but we because we can always do better. That was episode five of Hallowed Halls. On this episode, we heard from Phyllis Webster, who taught English at the Collegiate for more than 20 years, from the late 80s until 2010. Carly Slowshower, a human rights officer at the Manitoba Human Rights Commission, who graduated from the Collegiate in 2006. Ian Elliott, director of the model school at the Collegiate. And Irock Levasseur, a sociology student at the University of Winnipeg who graduated from the model school in 2017. The music you heard on this episode is by Lee Rosevere. For links to all the songs featured in this episode and to hear more from Lee Rosevere, check out the show notes. This podcast is produced by me, Isaac Werman, with the support from Dean Kevin Clace and Associate Dean Bonnie Talbot of the University of Winnipeg Collegiate. We acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 1 territory, ancestral lands of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We also acknowledge that our water is sourced from Shoal Lake 40 First Nation. Tune in to the next and final episode of this podcast, where we'll catch up to the present and learn about what the collegiate is like today. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you've heard, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. Talk to you next time.